The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. This is the Dean Mackin Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And welcome back to today's News Talk, TNT. Some terrific guests coming up this hour. Ash Mahmood is one of them. Uh, does some terrific work, and not just him, but it must run in the family because Ash is an award-winning uh, winning filmmaker, activist, and science teacher. We're going to be talking about uh, these interviews that he does on Ash's Planet Uplift. And, of course, his brother, Naeem, uh, is a director of a phenomenal film that's just been created during the lockdowns, actually, uh, Gods of Their Own Religion. And he was the associate producer of that, so I'll be talking to uh, Ash about him and his brother uh, imminently. Also, Anthony Weber will be on the program this hour, political commentator, an analyst, a strategist, the managing director of Wish Consulting, and a big part of the freedom movement. And, of course, we're going to be chatting on these marches for Gaza, and uh, everyone wants a ceasefire. I, I can't imagine anybody wouldn't. If you don't want a ceasefire in Gaza, that's based on hate, because at, at the moment, I mean, fair enough, if you know where Hamas is, you know, target them, drop all the, you know, the bunker buster bombs in the world, light them up with everything you got. I don't care. But certainly if you don't know where they are, stop the bombs, send the troops in and find them. Wouldn't be too hard to find because I wouldn't imagine there would be too many other people left there. They've got nowhere to live. I just think it's horrific. I think it was a very disproportionate attack. And no, I'm not taking a particular side. I'm on no side. In that, I will proudly say I'm on no side in that particular conflict, and not because I want to sit on the fence and I don't want to offend half my audience. I just am not a fan of either side in that particular conflict, but I am a fan of not hurting children, innocent people. I'm a massive supporter and fan of that, and I'm just going to stick with that, and that is as honest as I can possibly be. So we'll go with that. I'll tell you what, and again, I'm still psyched up, and for those in the UK, I'm sorry you're going to have to put up with me doing this because you probably can't imagine or maybe you can, we'll find out from Gemma Cooper imminently that you have a group here who, you know, consider themselves to be more more of this earth or certainly of this particular island than the rest of us and uh, who hate us for things done historically by people long dead. And they'll use Australia Day coming up in just, uh, uh, what is it, a couple of weeks' time. They're going to use that to uh, batter the rest of us around the head or they'll give it a good go. I certainly never gave them the opportunity in years of being on commercial talkback radio. Anyone who rang up and wanted to call it Invasion Day and stand on their soapbox and rubbish Australia on that of all days, I used to tell them to get stuffed. I literally used to tell them to get stuffed. In fact, I wasn't even that polite at what I said to them off air and I never gave them a go, not because I didn't want to have a debate. They could debate me the other 364 days of the year, but I'm not going to allow people to do that. And, you know, this particular group, they wonder why we had a resounding, and it was a resounding, no at our referendum, to hand the keys of the kingdom over to them to allow them to rewrite the constitution in very vague terms that could have been interpreted anyway by any number of high courts here in Australia to give them absolutely anything they wanted. And here we are in well over $1 trillion of debt, um, up Pooh Creek, if you will, here in Australia. Certainly those are paying the interest, our kids, our grandkids, uh, in no great shape. But you wonder, why was it a resounding no? Why would we be so mean? And here's another story. And by the way, before I get onto that, uh, I would love all of you, especially Aussies who will have an interest in this, there's a Facebook page that found me, to be honest, it just popped up in my feed called Action for Alice. And you'll see these hoons, these young, hate hate in their eyes, literally hatred, you know, uh, attacking typically people not of their own group, if you will, uh, stealing their cars, robbing and ransacking their businesses, absolute hatred in their eyes. And of course, when they're arrested, 
They're victims. They're victims. They're the victims. No, no mention of the victims of their crimes and how to fix it. And of course, a piss-weak government going forward, a government who advocates on giving them cash so they can go out and buy drugs and alcohol, not just them, but of course, their parents who made them like they are with your money. And of course, the previous Liberal uh, government said, no, you're going to get a cashless welfare card, which I advocated for very, very hard. Not just that particular group, but anyone here in Australia who's never, ever been part of the workforce, who comes from an intergenerational group of bludgers, no, you don't get cash. And in fact, it was up to me. I'd give you like the Sheriff Joe's tent city with communal kitchens and showers because you haven't contributed and you're certainly nothing but a burden. But these groups, here they are in Alice Springs and uh, the corrections minute, uh, commissioner, he's called for an immediate review. It was uh, around about New Year's Eve. There was only a fraction of the number of guards who should have been at this particular place, 27 inmates setting the place on fire, including their own mattresses, smashing down doors, uh, just rioting, you know, trying to attack guards, you know, and using their own beds to ram doors and prison officers. And it's out of control. I mean, the, the, the guards there can't cope. The numbers are too small. And of course, if they do anything uh, that is affirmative, they're perpetrators. The guys who work there, the guys who keep them, the criminals, under control. But here they are advocating that they're, in, they're hard done by and that they're victims. And uh, I'll tell you what I would do if I was there in Alice Springs and you burned your bed, you'd be sleeping on the bloody floor. If you want to go wreck your kitchen, you'd be on the lowest form of rations for weeks because my level of tolerance for you would be far less than those in politics. So you're very lucky that you've got those in politics advocating for you because the Australian people aren't going to do it because you've showed that you don't like them, that you are absolutely intolerant of them. And uh, and I don't think we're going to take it anymore. And certainly the referendum uh, saying that we're not going to do that anymore. And yet here we are with the politicians still doing as they will and certainly uh, pandering to minority groups and we're sick of it here in Australia. As I'm sure you are sick of the <laughs> Paula Benels over in the UK. This is the woman who was, uh, you know, at the post at the post office. A million people have signed the thing. They want her gone because of just the barbaric way that these people were mistreated as a result of a computer glitch that uh, the wonderful Gemma Cooper made me aware of last week. And a million signatures, that never happens ever anywhere. They want this woman gone. There was obviously a mini documentary or a story recently. We'll find out if Gemma Cooper what what fired up a million Brits to go and do this, but I'm, I'm chafing at the bit to find out. But of course, before I do that, I must do this. Uh, if you've missed your favourite TNT radio show or interview, then simply listen or watch back whenever you like, from wherever you are, uh, just visit the episodes page at the TNT website. We're also on all of the major podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, Podbean, iHeart, and TuneIn. So now there's no reason to miss anything here at TNT. The facts. No spin or agenda. Not enough with the lies. We need the facts. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. They're mad as hell and they're not going to take it anymore in a million pens to paper or digital signatures to the ether um, to prove it. And uh, please tell us more, Gemma Cooper. Well, it's uh, it's not that they want her gone because she is gone. She was the former chief executive. Of, she was in charge of the post office when it was still under kind of government ownership when this scandal broke. This Horizon IT system that was installed in 1999 clearly was not fit for purpose from the get-go. And the poor postmasters and sub-postmistresses across the UK that raised red flags about this IT system were ignored, uh, not listened to. And this IT system landed a lot of them in false claims of fraud and theft and landed some of them in prison 
uh, prosecuted, hundreds were investigated and prosecuted, and many committed suicide. There has been a docudrama about this in the UK, which has brought the whole story back into the public eye. And yes, uh, there are calls for her to be stripped of her knighthood. She, Paula Venner, she got a knighthood, a CBE, uh, for services to God knows what. Oh, because, you know, wow. look at what she did. She ruined lives. Um, the only other time a, a, a petition to strip somebody of their knighthood has gained, garnered so many signatures in such a short space of time was to strip Tony Blair of his knighthood when he was given Order of the Garter in 2022, uh, one of the, mo the most highest honor that, the, that can be bestowed on anyone who's not in the royal family. Um, he was given that. And of course, a million people jumped on that straight away in that petition because he took us into the illegal war with Iraq. That's not in dispute. Um, and people felt so strongly. A million people took to the streets to protest against Tony Blair taking us into Iraq. They weren't listened to. A million people signed a petition saying he should be stripped of his honor. That hasn't been listened to either. Whether this one will, it certainly garnered the public mood here in the UK because, you know, it's been on TV and the medium is the message. Once somebody makes a film about something or a TV docudrama, then it, it really is catapulted into the public consciousness. Rightly so in this instance, because the the victims, the many of them that are still alive, uh, the six courageous people that took the post office to the high court and eventually did win, they had to do it themselves. Uh, um, and they're still waiting for compensation four years after winning that case. They really aren't letting it go. Um, and again, I think it's an indication of how the tide is turning uh, and, and people's... The, the little people, the 99% at the bottom, that 99.9%, I should say, that prop up the 1% at the top, um, they, we're beginning to be heard. We're beginning, our stories are beginning to be told. What's tragic about this one is it's taken so long and so many people have either died, committed suicide or left, led lives in horrible isolation because they couldn't face the, the shame of being accused of fraud and theft. And, you know, these were respectable postmasters and mistresses, respectable people living quiet little lower middle class lives lives in the UK um, accused of these heinous, heinous crimes. And it was all because of AI, IT, um, and they were ignored when they raised the flag. So let's see if this petition works. I really, really, really hope that uh, politicians listen to this one and go, right, we'll do the right thing. Well, Gemma, if I ever do as I intend and come over to the UK, I'll be sure to look in the bottom of the cornflakes packet for my very own knighthood because they must be giving them out like that for this particular character who has one. Why? Because she did her job and got mail from point A to point B that many, many people have done historically all around the world. And here she is doing probably the worst job that I've ever heard and allowing that to go through to the keeper. And I just hope that those we can get at least one small smile on the, the face of those who have survived this. And I would call them survivors of this. And let's just hope that it comes to a, a speedy uh, resolution, especially in light of that docu story that you uh, uh, spoke of. And I would imagine there were millions and millions of people who would have watched that. Yes, and it, it has a, it's garnered the public imagination, and many people weren't really aware of it. I mean, at the time, it, it did break, and it was a, it was a big story if you were paying attention. Um, but I think now, with the power of social media, and it's twenty years on, we're much more aware of corruption. We're much more aware of those in power trying to silence anyone who's speaking out. We talked at the top of the last hour about victims of the AstraZeneca jab trying to find like-minded souls that they can communicate with, saying they've suffered vaccine damage, still being silenced by. So social media, but their stories are now being held, heard elsewhere. You know, you can't keep a lid on the truth. And I think that's where we are 20 years on from a, this story originally breaking, is that we're much more likely to stand up 
for each other. We're much more likely to stand up against the system. And I think that's what this story very clearly illustrates. <clears throat> there was an absolute cover-up with those at the top of the post office when when the, the postmasters and mistresses were saying, we don't, we don't think this IT system's working that you've given us, this new IT. It's not really doing its job properly. And what it was doing was reporting to those at the top uh, that the profits were down. And so, of course, right across the board, they started investigating postmasters and mistresses saying, where's the money gone? Why are your profits so low? And they were like, we don't know. We haven't done anything. And it was, it was IT. It was AI. And they, they, they just ignored all the red flags about this computer thing, probably because it cost a lot of money and probably because they didn't want to admit they'd got it wrong. Um, but they had got it wrong. And, but the, the cost was human life. What does that remind you of? You know? No, yes. no. It's perfectly, I, I perfectly safe for purpose. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, perfectly fit for purpose. No, it wasn't fit for purpose. Um, I really, my heart is with these uh, remaining surviving uh, postmasters and mistresses, former postmasters and mistresses, that they get the compensation they deserve and that the, the million signatures actually does garner some good. But there's another story to uh, to bring to the table because it, it really has echoes. There's so many parallels between the UK and Australia. You were talking earlier there about um, people that commit the crime, the hoons, as you call them. Uh, they commit the crime, but they become the victim uh, and they play the victim card and they get off scot-free. There's a story this morning. Honestly, I think we must be cyclically linked, Dean. I really, really do. A story this morning that I must sort of like get your opinion on because as soon as I saw it, I thought, oh, Dean will have something to say about this. Um, we have an epidemic of uh, shoplifting here in the UK and it really has reached mammoth proportions and, and you know, it's a real, real issue. It's, an, it's a problem. Now, normally, uh, I wouldn't care about corporate profits. I, you know, I think so. What? It's a corporation. It hasn't got a heart. Hasn't got a soul. As we just heard with the post office, it's barely got a brain. Um, so I wouldn't care about corporate profits and shareholder profits. But the only thing about shoplifting, of course, is that if the corporation makes a loss, these big corporations, these big supermarkets, they pass it on to us, the consumer. So it does d directly affect you and I because it hits our pocket if they make losses through shoplifting. So what we have here is a story this morning of a retired police officer with 32 years exemplary service in, in the, his, his Majesty's, Her Majesty's Police Force here in the UK. Um, he confronted a shoplifter outside one of the big supermarkets here in the UK, Sainsbury's, in South London, um, and he gave chase. Uh, and he, he chased this guy in his car. He, he, he confronted him. He helped get an, an arrest. Uh, he found the evidence, uh, nine very, very expensive bottles of wine that this thief had taken from the supermarket. He presented all the evidence to the supermarket and to the police. Uh, the shoplifter got off scot-free. No fines, no cautions, no charges were brought. The retired policeman who gave chase was issued a fine for driving the wrong way oh. down a one-way street whilst trying to apprehend this criminal, which he was. He was issued a fine, which he rightly appealed and said, I was trying to do the lawful right thing. And the local authority that issued the fine for him driving the wrong way down a wrong way street while I was trying to catch this criminal said, no, you had no legal authority to be driving on that road. And he said the whole criminal justice system in the UK is an absolute farce. It's broken. And again, that word not fit for purpose. And he said, what's the point? What's the point in trying to do the right thing? And he was a policeman, so he was doing it properly. You know, it wasn't some thug. Uh, and he said, the whole thing's a farce, a complete waste of my time. The fine was £130 for driving down this road. It's since gone up to 195 because he hasn't paid it. And he hasn't paid the 195 either. And he's absolutely apoplectic about this. And you can understand where he's coming from because it echoes what you've just said in your 
top of the hour editorial. You know, the people that commit the crime, the perpetrators, this guy's still walking the streets when it's clearly obvious he's going to do it again. Um, and and uh, yeah, it's the inversion, isn't it? If you, you try and do the right thing, you end up the one being punished. Um, and so, yeah, so the, the UK and Australia, I think we're so close in what our, our society and our culture is uh, and how our systems, both of them, criminal justice systems, are broken. Yeah, no, it's just crazy. I mean, it's almost like they're advocating for the criminal uh, and giving not just a green light, but making it easy for them as well. And as much as I don't like rules and regulations to a point, um, I'm quite happy to undergo a few extra ones to prevent things like shop theft and whatever. And something I've been advocating for for a long time, and I, I don't care, I'm quite happy to go through it myself, is you know how they have an airlock. You know, you watch a, a movie in space and obviously you open one door, you come in, they equalise the pressure and you can't get out the other door until the other door is secure. Why don't they do that in the shops where people, you know, they fill up their trolley, they go, they can do their self-checkout if they want or have someone check them out and they're locked into a thing where until they have paid, the second door doesn't open and the door behind them stays Close. I would love to see that happen because if that uh, gets a few of these people behind bars, if they had some minimum, minimum mandatory sentencing, then we wouldn't. And we're paying for it, Gemma. All the rest of us are paying for their shoplifting. It's not, it's not a victimless crime. In fact, the victims are those of us who stand aside, such as that retired police officer, and he wasn't prepared to do that. And good on him. Good on him. And I hope he does abstain from paying that fine. And I hope uh, uh, a good comes from this. But as we know, we're living in bizarro world. So Cross your fingers, hope for the best. Thank you, Gemma Cooper. Uh, Gemma will be joining me tomorrow, and, of course, she'll be uh, back in a couple of hours' time, I do believe, here at TNT. Thanks, Gemma. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk to Ash Mahmood here at today's News Talk TNT. TNT Radio's Hervoy Morich. Approximately 650,000 Ukrainian men aged 18 to 60 have left Ukraine for Europe since the start of the war. It's a tough spot. If your country is being invaded, uh, that's one thing, and you're a, a male and a citizen. Um, but you know, if, the war, if it's a globalist war, I, I wouldn't want to participate <laughs> in these banker globalist wars, and most of them just uh, are. Hervoy Morich on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I wanted to alleviate my pain. I also didn't want to be who I was. I always just felt like there was just something wrong with me and I was trying to figure it out and I used the internet to help me do that. Seemingly out of nowhere, we've suddenly seen a huge spike in media depictions and social media depictions of transgenderism. It's even reached the mainstream advertising world. The people who are consuming this are children, 13, 14, 15 years old. And it's so easy for them to literally be groomed. I just woke up one day, looked at myself in the mirror, and asked myself, what the heck am I doing? When trans-identified kids are referred to specialized gender clinics, they're often told that they're going to get comprehensive, multidisciplinary mental health assessments. We know that that's not true. I was easy to manipulate. The ideology that has become dominant at these clinics is that trans kids know who they are, and therefore to question them is completely taboo. My childhood was ruined. Who's there for their detransitioning? Nobody. Nobody would help me because they had more concerns of me reversing everything. Did this thing to alleviate this gender dysphoria that wasn't there before, but you made it into a problem, and now your body image issues are worse. That's not supposed to happen. 
What do we do now? D-Trans, the dangers of gender-affirming care. For more information, go to PragerU.com. Ladies and gentlemen, today's news talk. News and information. TNT Radio. And welcome back to TNT. Thanks for sticking with us. My next guest, his name is Ash Mahmood, and he does some terrific stuff. In fact, not just him, and I did okay with him, um, a chip off the old block. Obviously, they've got terrific parents because when you've got two brothers who are so very much in sync and good friends as well, you know you've got terrific parents, and uh, what they've been doing together is absolutely wonderful, although they've been doing it separately, I must add. Uh, now, it's called, I'll just give you a brief rundown on Ash. He's an award-winning filmmaker and activist. He's also a science teacher, so a, gu a guy who understands it from all different aspects. He's someone who gets on, he does a thing called Planet Uplift on BitChute, and I did check out a few of the videos before I came on today. They're absolutely terrific. He delves deep, and uh, we're going to ch chat with him in this uh, world that is largely, and I think I'm using a direct quote, it's very accurate, in, in a world that is now largely dystopian, Orwellian, if you will. He makes sense of it, and he does very well. Ash Mahmood, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Dean. It's an absolute pleasure to be here with you, although you're far away from me in Australia. Here I am in London. <laughs> we are far away, but as I learn each and every day, because my second hour is pretty much UK-centric and I get to talk to wonderful people in the UK every day, it is absolutely unbelievable how much in lockstep not just the UK and Australia are, but just when it comes to utter and sheer madness, we're all making the same mistakes at the same time. That doesn't happen by accident, does it? No, it's quite a rare sight to find all the countries across the world using the same kind of language and doing exactly virtually the same thing in slightly different ways. So it's almost like there's different types of experiments going on in different countries, but they're all based around tyranny, basically. So that's, uh, yeah, where we are, unfortunately, in this bizarre world. But navigating your way through it, it actually can be quite an exciting time when you start to unravel and you start to see all the things that are going on. I mean, with the whole uh, COVID madness, I think it became quite clear to me from the start when they called it coronavirus, the coronavirus act, uh, then the second person in the world to get jabbed was called William Shakespeare. And I was walking past a, a bus stop and the ad said, which was a propaganda ad by the NHS, it said, act like you've got it, play your part. So quickly I realized, that, you know, this whole thing is uh, someone else's script. And I think one of the key messages from myself and my brother is uh, don't be, you know, uh, the actor in someone else's script. You should be the director of your own lives. And, you know, try to follow your own heart and your soul and not to get too distracted by all the goings on. Because I think, the you know, we're run by uh, an entity that is pretty dark, pretty evil, and they have, what they want to do, I think, is to get us to manifest their scripts. And I think we've got to be careful not to get too distracted. And as I said, be the director of your own lives. I agree. I think you understand it as good as anybody possibly ever could. The, the way you described it from woe to go was absolutely spot on. And I think in much the same way that we could go do an IQ test, any of us, and get our, find out what our IQ is. I think during the pandemic, as I like to call it, um, how, how early you triggered as to this was insidious, this was wrong, the response being disproportionate and all the rest of it, um, will show you just how intuitive you are. I know you would have been a wake up to it from the get go. I remember, at very late December 2019 or very early January when there was talk of this thing. And I went on to um to eBay 
and I bought 200 face masks. And I said, cool. this is either going to be a big thing and it's going to be huge and real or it's going to be the biggest hoax of our time. It only took me about a week to figure out it was the latter and I think I used those uh, to sling golf balls into into the, the local lake or something. I don't know what I used them for, but I certainly never put one on my face, that's for sure. It's really good to hear, yeah. No, it's been a, a sad, sorry sight to see so many people, family members, uh, friends and just general public, you know, wearing these masks. It, but it, I guess in another way, it was also quite revealing because it told you the state of uh, the level of brainwashing, the level of programming and the amount of fear that uh, people were experiencing. And in a, in a way at that time, it was quite also quite good to, to know where you stood. Um, now, in a way, it's difficult to tell, you know, because no one's really masked at the moment in London. You can't quite tell what people are going through. Have they had some kind of awakening? Or are they still asleep? Could they still, you know, fall for another kind of scam? It might not be quite uh, the same. I think it definitely won't be the same. But whatever scam that maybe they might try and pull next time, it's hard to tell. But, you know, one thing's for sure, three years ago, or just less than three now, it's in two years when the mask mandates came, most people complied. It was a hard job to find anyone in the early days who was not masked. So uh, it also, yeah, tells you the state of, where humanity uh, was and probably still is, uh, although there has been some, definitely some people who have awakened over the course of this time. I think you would agree. Um, you strike me as someone who is hyper-intuitive, someone who can read people, who knows people at a glance. And um, I thought that I was the guy that couldn't learn anything else from people on a psychological level. But the last three years, the way that they succumbed to fear, especially where fear wasn't warranted, really did teach me so much about people. And obviously those who run the world behind the scenes, they were right across that and they used that to great effect. Yes, absolutely. I think that's quite right. But on the other hand, it seems like they might have possibly to some degree, possibly overplayed their hand as well because they've had to take some very drastic measures uh, as you know, very tyrannical measures as well that has shaken up the world. There's no doubt that a lot of people have um, had some kind of epiphany, some kind of awakening over the last couple of years. And it's made them question not just uh, the COVID madness, but so many other aspects, how much of our world is actually inverted, you know, the, the climate, man-made climate change uh, scam as well. And so many other things you question, you start to question everything, you know, um, how much of the world, as I say, is inverted. So on another level, it's it's a very, you know, on a personal level, it's been very, very positive for me. It's brought me very close to my brother because we weren't uh, really in contact as well. It was reassuring to, you know, turn up at my mum's place on the very first day of the lockdown and just make sure she's okay and uh, make sure that she's not following any of this madness. And just getting really close with my family. Then I went to see my dad. And I tried to visit as many people as possible and uh, made sure that my house was always open to have people come and gather anytime they wanted. Because I think, as you said, when you're trying to keep human beings separate, as wonderful as it is to have this online technology, but if you can be close to people, uh, there's nothing like being within that two meter range. It's almost like the two meters is quite symbolic in terms of the, the energy impact. So when you get very close to people, perhaps within two meters, the energy is uh, much more impactful. Obviously, if you can get physical, you give someone a hug or a handshake or you're right in their vicinity, you can feel their energy field. So I think this is clearly an attack to try and keep people apart so that they can't connect because when you get closer to people, you can make that human connection. So everything that happened was very anti-human. 
But as I said, on a personal level, it was a very positive thing because I could uh, see through, I hope, most of it and uh, just keeping an eye on my family, keeping an eye on friends. And as I said, I'm a teacher as well. So I was working in a school with uh, 1,500 uh, children and uh, adults, a uh, few adults, the teachers, of course. And uh, it was pretty, that was like a twilight zone or going into the invasion of the body snatchers, which I just read a couple <laughs> years earlier. Yeah. Because I turned up and I hadn't realized that they had mandated the masks. So I, I don't usually look too far ahead. I like to live for the now, for the moment. Tomorrow is just in their head and the past is also just in their head. Really, we should focus on the moment. So I just turn up to school, not planning the day, really, just go with the flow. It's not the best way sometimes, but in this case, it worked really well. But I turned up at school and, you know, not one person was unmasked, not any of the cleaners, not any of the adult staff, support staff, not even the kids. And uh, I just couldn't wear one of those things. Uh, but that was a real challenge, and I think to overcome that, because you know, I, I won't pretend I'm only a human being, and it was it was pretty scary at first because you, you were wondering how much of a you know am I going to face any kind of attack? Because I had a fa I had faced an attack. Um, uh, it did get a bit physical. Someone did push me, and they were threatening to call the police. Was well, so at a coffee shop, and there were about 15 people, and there was even a, a lady that had served me a couple of days earlier who didn't want to wear the mask. And she was like a different person. She refused to serve me coffee. I got shoved as well, and people were shouting at me, saying how I was killing people. So I'd experienced that. But for some reason, it was almost like I was possessed by my inner soul, inner spirit, because I would, the easiest thing to do, well, you, one thing you could do is you could wear a mask, which was never going to happen, or just walk out. It's best to walk out. Yep. But my legs just froze, and I couldn't leave, and something possessed me. And I said, I will have my coffee, not being rude or anything, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have a cake as well. And I'm going to sit down in this room and I'm going to have that coffee in peace and privacy as I'm entitled to. And I don't know how it happened. There was after that, there was no resistance. I was served. I sat down. It was almost like the world went back into out of the Bermuda Triangle or something. It was bizarre. So that was the first sign for me that, OK, I, I can cope with anything. So going into school, although it was difficult, for some reason, no one ever questioned me. And gradually I managed to get up the masks off of the kids as well. Uh, couldn't work, didn't quite work out with the adults, but at least the kids, because um, some of them said they had a migraine or they were having difficulty breathing or had a headache. So once I told a couple of kids to take the mask off, that would help, and many others joined in as well. So pretty much after a couple of weeks, most of the kids didn't have a mask. And, you know, you try and inform, you try and inform them things like, because they were having to take uh, three lateral flow tests in the early days a week. Uh, and what the plan was, uh, what they didn't know about is uh, that this, to take these tests, they had to opt in, their families had to opt in. And a lot of people, uh, the kids and their parents, didn't know that if you took the test, you had to actually opt in to do that. So I just made sure that to let them know that, it, you know, it's an optional thing and you don't have to do it if you don't want to. Ash, uh, and yeah, that was Ash, basically hold, hold that thought. We do need to get to the news headlines and we'll be back, mate. Um, I I could relate to that more than you might possibly imagine. I want to find out how you got from there to here. We'll do that right after the news headlines here at TNT. Everybody stick around. I'm talking with Ash Mahmood back after this. Now, where trusted newscasters deliver the day's news at the same reliable time. TNT Radio News. That sounds awesome. Matt Boyland here with a quick look at your TNT headlines. The Pentagon has come under fire for hiding the news that America's Defence Secretary had spent the past week in hospital incapacitated in intensive care. 
Elon Musk has hit back at the Wall Street Journal after the outlet published a hit piece on the billionaire. Israel claims to have dismantled Hamas's military framework in northern Gaza. And North Korea has warned the South it'll be hit by a baptism of fire, saying the safety locks on the triggers of Pyongyang's military have been lifted. We're the pinup boys and poster girls for free speech. We just don't look as impressive as Vladimir Putin shirtless on a horse. Yeah. 24 7, 365. We never stop sifting fact from fiction, misinformation from the truth. From government overreach to the latest on mandates, big tech censorship to propaganda gone mad. Listen to TNT Radio and get the news and views direct from our expert presenters and commentators anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk this is TNT Radio. And welcome back to the program. You know, I say our countries are in lockstep. Sometimes I speak to guests who I feel I'm very much in lockstep with because I just love the way they think. I love the way that they reacted to the moment and life will take you on a journey sometimes. I'm going to ask the question, but I suspect I know the answer. I'm talking to Ash Mahmood. He is an award-winning filmmaker and activist, a science teacher. His brother also uh, very similar, you know, creating phenomenal films and doing stuff I'll be talking about imminently as well. But I will ask the question, at what point did you get dragged into this stream that has brought you to where you are now from being a science teacher and do all the wonderful things that you're doing now. That's very kind of you to say, and you're a fantastic presenter, I must say as well. I really am connecting with you very marvellously. But uh, yeah, no, for me, it was uh, pretty automatic, as you say. I was searching. I was really searching. I was out and about trying to find like-minded people. And uh, yeah, we went to the very one of the early protests in May 2020. Obviously, it was quite surprising uh, at that time, because this was before the mask mandates, that there were only 100 or so people there, there were about 200 police. So that was quite a shock. And it was, uh, yeah, a little bit uh, deflating, I would have to be honest. But we pursued it because there was no other way that we could live, really. We had to live uh, by engaging with people, by uh, being close to people, by not being under house arrest and uh, trying to just uh, you know take care of your neighbors and making sure everybody's all right and friends and so forth so yeah we we connected with lots of people and then pretty much as you you know the movement became huge and by about uh, i think it was about march 2021 there were about uh, over a million possibly near not far off two million people on the streets so you definitely found lots and lots of people that you could connect with and it was then finally very reassuring that you know that yeah there is you can have a lot of faith in humanity and yeah i think in the early days what happened was a lot of voices were censored you couldn't find people who were thinking like myself who who cared about humanity and didn't want to be separated from their family and wanted to open their their shops and wanted to uh you know make a livelihood uh, make a living so there was a i think it all started for me with my channel planet uplift uh, when I met a Canadian gentleman who ran a toy shop and it was Christmas time 2020. And again, we were under lockdown regulations. But this shop, he, he advertised on Twitter and said, if anyone comes to my shop, I'll give you a 10% discount if you don't wear a mask. So I turned up with myself and a group of kids and said, let's get some Christmas presents. Let's try and make this feel like Christmas and uh, go to a toy shop. And uh, because obviously it was such a relief to find somewhere because people had said there are these cafes or there are these places that are keeping open. There was a tattoo shop somewhere in Manchester, I think that was open as well and defying the lockdown restrictions. So I thought I should interview this guy and I need to gather these, these testimonials. So it's like the, 
my Planet Uplift channel was like a national social archive because I think this was missing. You were not getting the voice, alternative voices. They were all censored of people who were not complying with these regulations or people who were questioning them. But also it then became about people who had suffered as a result of some of these uh, regulations. So I ended up interviewing people who had been injured by the, the, the COVID jabs uh, or uh, interviewed the first person to receive the compensation in the UK, uh, the vaccine damage payment scheme because her husband had a blood clot in the brain and, and passed away. And he was about my age. So I guess that's also very, uh, very frightening to think that a young man, uh, you know, with his life ahead of him uh, and a lovely, lovely wife uh, uh, passed away. And, they, you know, they've been together since she was a uh, uh, you know, teenagers, the both of them really. So, yeah, it's been a range of people. I got to interview the Snooker World Champion 2002, Peter Rebden, uh, Mike Stock, who you might know from Stock Aitken and Waterman, and he produced uh, all of Kylie Minogue's uh, early records, and uh, a few other people like Matt Letissier, the uh, renowned uh, Premier League footballer. Uh, so, you know, it, it range, the range of people has been remarkable. And I've got lots of other interesting people lined up as well. There's a wonderful lady who, again, sadly lost her mother to the AstraZeneca jab. And she's been amazing because she's raised a lot of funds to try and help other people who've been injured by uh, the jabs or uh, perhaps have lost loved ones as well, because the, the numbers are staggering. And there's still so many people who haven't made the connection uh, in terms of their you know, illnesses and um, being in close, close proximity to having taken the jab. So that's pretty much how that channel evolved. I'm wondering if I can ask a favour of you because 20 minutes yeah. isn't barely enough to scratch the no, surface. No. I want to get into everything that you're doing on, on Planet Uplift. I want to get into what your brother's doing. I want to get into these movies you made. We've got yeah. no time today. Have you got time later this week to come back on? Because I really want to get into this and I'd love to do it. Dean, I'd love to, love to get to know you better and I'd love to talk to you again. Yeah, you've been absolutely brilliant and it's so nice and reassuring to, to find fantastic journalists like yourself and uh, having this wonderful channel, Dean. So, yeah, absolutely, any time I'd love to come back again. Thank you, Ash. Well, mate, today was about getting to know, you know, who you are, how you got to where you're at, and you, you've just gone so far above and beyond those, you know, most people, you know, not a lot, you know, those, of those who wake up, a lot of people step up and they put the word out there, some on a slightly bigger level, but the stuff you've done and the level to which you and your brother have done it is just outstanding and it's something that I need to address a whole bunch more time too. So we'll talk again later this week. I'll have uh, Charlotte organise that with you in uh, a time yeah. to suit you. But uh, Ash Mahmood, award-winning filmmaker, activist and science teacher, and I think you're terrific and we'll chat again later during the week. Thank you very much, Dean. It's been an absolute honour and pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. I think I've made a friend today, everybody, and I know you have as well, all of you watching or listening to TNT, and uh, we will be having a chat a little bit later this week. We're going to be going to Anthony Weber after the break here at TNT, and uh, all you have to do is stick around. I'm Naheem Hines, professional football player and proud supporter of the Muscular Dystrophy Association. My mom was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy when I was 14, and I watched her struggle. But MDA helped her get the best treatments and care. And they also help kids like my buddy Ethan. My name is Ethan and I'm 12 years old. Thanks to the Muscular Dystrophy Association and people like you, I have more hope than ever before. From day one, they've treated me like family at my local care center. MDA is the only one that funds over 150 care centers across the U.S. to help provide state-of-the-art care for adults and kids like me. For over 70 years, MDA has been transforming the 
the lives of people living with muscular dystrophy, ALS, and other related neuromuscular diseases. They fund the research for breakthrough treatments, care, and cures. And MDA provides support to thousands of families like mine and Ethan's in communities like yours. Thanks to MDA, kids and adults can live life to its fullest. Join us and learn more at mda.org today. Need a ride? Yeah! Driving with kids is a big responsibility. Hop in and buckle up! So don't sweat the small stuff. You got paint all over our paper! Get the big stuff right instead. What does that mean? Like making sure your kids are in the correct car seat and buckled up for safer travel. That deserves a wiggly wiggly wig. To make sure your child is in the right seat for their age and size, visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. This is the Dean Mackin Show on today's News Talk Radio TNT. And welcome back to the program. I'm very happy with uh, this wonderful producer I've got named Charlotte over in the UK. She gets me, I've had some of the best guests I've ever had, you know, in my 20, oh, 18, probably closer years of doing radio, commercial or online. And uh, I've just been getting some terrific ones. And my next one, absolutely the rule, Anthony Weber, political commentator, analyst, strategist, managing director of Wish Consulting. And he's a big part of the freedom movement. Now, of course, I'm going to ha- chat with Anthony uh, right now. Anthony, how are you going? Hello, Gene. Uh, and of course, um, we're well into this new year, 2024. So let's hope it's actually better than the last one. I I, I can't imagine it could be worse. <laughs> you know, lots of people, Elon Musk and co, predicting, you know, not to be overly hopeful, but I like to be an optimist. And, and I think we'll, we'll look at it that way. I, I think if you advocate for a better year, it's more likely to be one. That's my belief. Mate, lots going on. Now, these marches for the Gaza ceasefire, I mean, I, I'm absolutely, it's one of those things. I've never seen anything divide conservative politics right down the middle. I've been very careful to, you know, and I don't normally do it to sit on the fence and just be fair. And the one thing that I have advocated for rather than a side is just for the minimization of how many innocent people are getting hurt in, in this particular conflict. But lots going on with these, uh, these uh, marches for the Gaza ceasefire. Where do we start? Well, I think going back to what you said, there has been a division, but I wouldn't say it applies so much for those who've been involved in the truth and freedom movement over the last uh, three years. I think those of us who are involved from the beginning have been pretty consistent on a number of issues. Um, Of course, it's absolutely disastrous what's happened uh, since October the 7th. Uh, regarding Gaza and, of course, the West Bank as well. And um, uh, it's really been the conduct of the current Israeli government, which is a looked extremist-dominated government, and and, and the way they behaved, which has got sort of people up in arms. And, um, of course, most people are very against terrorism and the sort of acts that Hamas were involved in. Uh, but I, I personally think uh, there's been an overreaction by the current Israeli government, which has put a lot of people against what, what has actually gone on. And so uh, we recently had uh, the uh, Israeli uh, ambassador to London uh, effectively saying some pretty horrendous things about the, the conduct of the, the, the this actual war. Uh, and I did notice that 
she uh, unusually for an ambassador is an ex MP, an ex Lucid yep. MP. And um, when I, I listened to her on the Ian Dale LBC program, um, I, I, I certainly noticed that she seems to have made it, it very difficult to transform from being a politician to being uh, an ambassador where you have to have measured diplomacy, where, where you need to uh, have regard for the fact you're representing your whole country, the people in that country, and not just a political point of view. Uh, so I, th I think there's this, been this view that um, the current Israeli government seems to think they can just do what they want and uh, they can just ignore any, even the slightest of pleadings from, uh, say, uh, the US government and, and the UK government. Uh, and some people even argue that, um, uh, that, that they've got the, 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 those governments too much under their own uh, control and influence. But what, what's happened effectively is some people, including the Israeli ambassador to London, seem to think that it's perfectly all right uh, to, to flatten Gaza and destroy the infrastructure uh, because they think that will somehow uh, destroy Hamas. Uh, we've already seen well over 22,000 dead uh, Palestinians in Gaza. Uh, and that's uh, increased a horrendous proportion of, of children and women. Uh, and still the majority of Hamas have not been defeated. And um, they, they put across the view, uh, the, the, um, the current Israeli government, that that's, that's the only way to defeat Hamas and the tunnel structure and so on. And I think what we will perhaps see uh, over the next few weeks is uh, military experts saying exactly why this is the, the wrong uh, approach. Because first of all, you lose the hearts and minds of ordinary Palestinians, and you certainly lose the hearts and minds of people in other countries in the world. Um, but, it, you know, it's not the first time in... Um, history that there's been the use of tunnels by by people and uh, some countries in the world do have experience of dealing with terrorism you only have to look at uh the uk government indeed with the help of australia at the time when the uh communist terrorists in uh malaya were defeated and that that was not uh the sort of gung-ho type approach which the Israeli government is approaching. It was basically going to the heart of things and defeating uh, the, the the terrorists. But um, I, I'll leave aside the different military tactics people could use to 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 you know remove this threat, which Israel sort of obviously feels they have with the rockets flying in and so on, and go on to the subject of uh, as you've asked the the the. the well, Anthony, before you do, I, I love that you started off with the ambassador because, I mean, Sipi Hatovoli, I mean, uh, ex-former MP for the Likud party, of course, the chairman of that party is the current prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, to have her advocate 
for something and to be diplomatic is absolutely the last person on the planet you would put there. I think it's horrific. There's a petition to have her dumped as in that particular role. And I think uh, I would advocate that people go and sign that because uh, Benjamin Netanyahu and co should know better. If you're serious about being diplomatic, you don't send, I mean, she's like a nuclear warhead. I mean, basically, you just don't send her. Absolutely not. Yes, that, that, that's true. And uh, Israel has had previous ambassadors to London who have been uh, much more measured and uh, diplomatic. And uh, I would say to the current Israeli uh, ambassador, she should look at the example of the, the Russian ambassador in London, who is in very trying circumstances, but always manages to uh, be measured in his approach with with the, the you know the media and with with government of, of officials, um, but this petition actually isn't the only one around because uh, there so far there've been three uh, parliamentary petitions on the subject of Israel Gaza and uh, uh, humanitarian aid needed and all this sort of thing, and they were de de debated on December the eleventh, uh, and there will be more. And what's happened over the last few weeks have been uh, protests in London and other, uh, not just major cities, but towns as well. And um, uh, there's even uh, protests coming up this week about a new uh, a bill in Parliament, which will uh, restrict uh, companies from uh, effectively boycotting uh, the products of, of Israel. Uh, so, so there's all that going on. But uh, there's another big march coming up uh, this this coming weekend. And to me, I think it's going to be ongoing until there is a change of policy. And uh, of course, Israel has had more moderate governments in the past uh, who have, have been able to present the case for Israel in a, in a much better way. But I, I, what I think, and this, this view is echoed by many Israelis and many Jewish people throughout the world, they're concerned that, that this current government is uh, doing Israel a huge disservice, which is going to take years to uh, recover from, because uh, you, you've now got a situation where uh, people supporting the current Israeli government actions are very few in number in terms of if you're looking at the United States, uh, United Kingdom, uh, and uh, we've now got this uh, action uh, in the International Court of Justice brought about by South Africa for alleged genocide uh, by, by uh, Israel. And I think this sort of thing is going to continue until there is a change of government in Israel. And um, even the issue of the hostages, uh, there's a huge disquiet in Israel about that because uh, obviously if the, the current government in Israel continues with their current their policy on bombing Gaza, it's going to put the lives of the hostages at, at risk. Um, but. The, this whole scenario of, you know, what's happening with Gaza, because some politicians in Israel have been arguing that um, the uh, Palestinians in Gaza should all be exported uh, and their, their place taken by uh, Israeli settlers. And all these sort of things are, are very concerning. And um, 
but I think you know we we're just sort of coming out of the Christmas period, and uh, Christmas is a time of peace and goodwill toward men. And I think uh, those of us who are Christians must do our best in in that regard. Uh, but look at what's happened in in Gaza. Uh, we've had Christian churches, we've had Christian hospitals, and Christians uh, killed. And even this has been even despite appeals from uh, uh, apparently the US and UK government to the Israeli government about uh, you know you know not being so relentless in in their bombing. And I, I think there are many people who just find this conduct unacceptable, uh, and the actions of the government uh, in Israel unacceptable. If it's going to if one wants to achieve peace uh it doesn't seem to be the right way of doing it and there does need to be a different approach and just because one wants peace it doesn't mean to say that one supports terrorist actions because obviously people people don't but it doesn't give an excuse for an overreaction by uh the israeli government and one wonders who's going to pay for any um reconstruction in Gaza, because we're going to be talking about billions uh, of pounds of money, uh, and uh, already uh, taxpayers have been in the United States, and some would argue in the UK, have been paying for uh, the arms which uh, Israel has received, and all this has been done without the consent, without any 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 mandate. And um, I think most people would prefer efforts were made to to bring about peace. That area of the world has had peace sometimes for centuries with Christians, Muslims and Jews living together. Uh, so these things are not impossible, but one needs to gather the, 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 the men and women of peace to, to bring these things around. And the people of violence, they're the ones who one needs to to basically sideline on both sides. I, I couldn't agree with you more on a bunch of things. You mentioned the Russians. They've been very careful. There's been very little collateral damage, very few civilian deaths. Israel could lo learn a lot there. Um, it was suggested that the Americans could convince Israel to stop doing that. They, I laughed at that. I would suggest that they're more likely to tell America what to do than the inverse. Yes. Uh, and, of course, them coming out a day later and saying we're not a star on your American flag. The other thing as well, Israel having, you know, some of the, the highest wealth of any nation, certainly not the that most people are aware of, I would suggest that is the case. And here we are giving them money when uh, perhaps they should be handing out some money for a change, mate. And uh, again, I'm just, all, I just want the uh, innocent children to stop getting hurt, mate. It's just absolutely horrific. Uh, the ceasefire is well and truly past due. They've made their point and it's time to stop. I think it's that easy. Anthony Weber, I think you've been a tremendous guest. Uh, you've had a, a lot to say and I, I think a lot of people would agree with it. Just a lot of common sense and advocating for what is right. And I think that at the end of the day is what it's all about and if you want to go after Hamas, go after Hamas, but make sure that it's Hamas you're going after. I, I think, Gene, we have to be have regard for the uh, implications of a wider conflict. Uh, of course, there's been the Lebanon situation. Things have got worse in the West Bank. We've got the Red Sea and the Houthis, and it does seem that the actions of the Israeli government are, are actually creating new yep. enemies for them. Uh, which cannot be good for the Anthony, state of Israel. I
I would agree completely. I think the word is inflammatory. Hey, we've got about eight seconds. So all I can do is say thank you very much for your time. Time is fleeting. Everybody, I've got to go. Uh, stick around. I'll be back tomorrow here at TNT.